Good morning, Adam. Hello there, Connor. How are we getting on? I'm not too bad now. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm very happy with how this, this episode turned out. It was one of the most enjoyable episodes we've done so far, I must admit. I know we say it like every time, which is probably a good sign that this is the best one yet. But I do actually believe that this is this is one of the best ones yet. Yeah, like I say it on, on the actual episode itself, but you can tell we were joined by a veteran of podcasting. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, uh, I ask him one question at the start and he talks for 45 minutes. It's like he predicted our questions and just... Yeah. <laughs> And we, we were just nodding away and saying, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. I, I closed the notepad I had open, but like the first question we asked was, how did you get into lifting weights? Like, you know, the most general, like what's your, your origin story, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, the next few questions were then like more specific, like uh, tell us more about your bodylifting or body, body <laughs> lifting, <laughs> bodybuilding career. Because a lot of people don't know that he did that. Mm. And I guess we did and uh, tell and then like more about your powerlifting and more about your academ- academics. And he just <laughs> knocked those out. Amazing. It, it, was great. The, it was great. It's like perfect that you said his origin story, given the whole comic book character aura he has around him. True. And you know what? Actually, there, there was way more to that than I expected. Like, oh, yeah, I, th- I thought, you know, ah, he's just playing, playing, you know, doing a bit of a meme. You know? <laughs> But no, like he he actually was doing that because it helped him get into a better spot, like a spot where he could perform, perform mm. you know, better, more consistently. It's which like is really his, cool. His alter ego. Yeah. I suppose we'd actually say who it is, but anyone who's clicked onto the episode knows that today we were joined by Arthur Lynch. Yep. Super, oh. super influential person in the Irish PF. One of the people I could confidently say is is responsible for the success that it has seen and recent recently awarded his phd so he's now dr arthur lynch comma phd, PhD. <laughs> <laughs> super super interesting guy absolutely great chat we we kind of as adam said there we go through his origin story his athletic career and how that influenced his career and academic choices as a researcher and then it was actually a really nice opportunity to talk about some of the research that he has done and we got a nice opportunity to to talk shit about Squad University, which I always, which I always enjoy. And I think that was in relation to uh, research on unilateral exercises and imbalances. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, that was a really interesting conversation. I must take up with him another time. I think that about covers it. Is it? I think I think it does. Yeah, like it's. For me and you, we were both saying this as we were sitting there listening to him talk. He was very concerned about it not being interesting, but I was having a fantastic time. Yeah. <laughs> Just chilling out and listening to, you know, a, a dude talk about his expertise. Like, there's no other way of, of, of saying it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable. As we say in the podcast itself, I we definitely plan on having Arthur on again because we had a few other questions and a few other kind of... Uh, lines we wanted to go down and, and you know the, the podcast is nearly two hours long so <laughs> we didn't but uh yeah i think he, the next one has potential to be fantastic as well absolutely awesome cool well i'm excited to hear what you, you people think of it enjoy the show arthur lynch everybody arthur why don't you say why don't you say hello 
hello good afternoon <laughs> so for anyone who does not know arthur arthur is the host of the no lift podcast and and various other things that that we'll we'll get into during the podcast but um yeah one one quick story to start us off so my first competition arthur i don't know if you know this but i actually shared a flight with you at my very first competition oh no what in... did i do i'm so sorry no, nothing actually <laughs> you were just quite quite impressive i think what did you squat it was like 230 or something um which was, you know, amazing. Obviously, Barry was in the same flight, so not that amazing, but still amazing. Um, it was, oh, it was about it was six or seven years ago. It was in RD. It was in Laos, IDFBA. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So, so that's when I first was exposed to you, and immediately clocked the the Wolverine thing. Um, also, sorry to cut across. It's also a terrific demonstration in how not to pick your attempts. It was like. Like it was classical of our mindset back then, or at least mine was like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I want to hit a PR today. So I'll go for it on my second so that if I miss it, I'll have another opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty typical of the time. I think Barry, Barry bombed out on bench that day. I think it was, I think because of a similar, similar attitude towards attempt selection. Yeah, I, I, I don't know as well about how he he managed his caught and actually we were hanging around that morning of and I remember after we weighed in like he didn't have a he barely had like a banana I think and that was because I was I was stuffing my face watching him I was like you sure you're not hungry man he's like no not really um so I was I don't know I was like oh, maybe that's just Barry but uh he didn't go on to have a great day afterwards so I don't know, just putting two, two and two together there. I, I, I would suspect that he wasn't feeling great going into it. Yeah, the 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 weight cut could have been to blame. Um, so yeah, that was my first meet in was it twenty fourteen? Did that comp? Fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, that comp was. Connor's gone. Hopefully, he'll be back. Um, so yeah, that, that very nicely leads me into, to your origin story. How, how did you, before powerlifting even, mm. um, how did you get into lifting weights? What's, what's, what's the, the Arthur Lynch story, so to speak? Uh, how extensive do you want this to be? Very extremely. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Right. Okay. So how I got into lifting weights was fairly uninteresting, um, as a teenager, I played rugby for many years, as is not uncommon. Um, and then end of fifth year, we, my, my rugby club, we'd enrolled in a strength and conditioning program that was going to take place over the summer. And, uh, you know, I, I know obviously there's people listening to me like, well, you know, strength and conditioning isn't just for the off season, but like, look lads it was 2009 it was a miracle that we were even that that was even considered at that stage um and so yeah enrolled in that and ba basically from the night where we got the introduction to like okay this is nutrition this is training and these are how you do different exercises that night it, like it's it's not an understatement to say uh, sorry, it's not an overstatement to say that that changed the course of my life because 
from then on, I was pretty much hooked on the whole training and nutrition thing. And it just snowballed from there. Um, then leaving search year, I was still playing rugby, but as the year was going on, I was kind of, I was kind of falling out of love with rugby and falling in love with the whole process around training. And I just found it absolutely fascinating because I was seeing some very profound changes in body composition around that time as well, as I was combining the nutrition stuff with what I was doing in the gym. Um, of course, I had no idea what I was doing in the grand scheme of things, but no one does at that stage. Um, and uh, yeah, then I was like, well, this is like the only thing I care about right now. This is the only thing I, I'm interested in. And yeah, you know, spending my spare time looking at online articles and YouTube videos and stuff on like how to get a six pack and how to, <laughs> I was gonna ask. How, how to build your biceps peak and this kind of thing. And um, of, of those, <laughs> of those early kind of YouTubers, I think your man Scooby is still knocking around. Mm. Um, so he was, he was new to YouTube when I was starting off. Um, and so then, yeah, we're, oh yeah. So, so then the reason that's important is because that's when I kind of said, right, I would like to pursue this in an academic sense. I like, this is the thing that I'm interested in. So what course can I do that most closely aligns with learning about training and nutrition? And that brought me to sport and exercise sciences in the University of Limerick. So I, en I enrolled in that, um, you know, got in and, because uh, I really wanted to train in the UL gym because of course, that's where we did the strength and conditioning program the summer beforehand. And I was like, that that's an amazing gym. I want to go back and train there. And so I did that and I was, got in, you know, doing sports science and then training and all that alongside it. By this point, I packed in rugby. So I was exclusively a guy who just recreationally lifted weights. And so I did that then for a couple of years. And then at one point I had this idea in my head about doing a bodybuilding show. And I guess that was partly motivated by it's really laughable kind of looking back, but you know, as a, as a young lad in school, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't fat, but I was certainly a lot flabbier and a lot chunkier than, uh, my peers. Mm -hmm. So at times I might've been a bit self-conscious about that. And I was definitely teased a few times about it. So that probably carried through to when I decided that maybe I'd like to do a bodybuilding show because that would be like in my head, that would be like a massive middle finger to those guys as if to say, well, yeah, I was fat, but now I'm shredded as fuck. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Can I curse on this? Yes, absolutely. Oh, grand. Okay. Thank fuck. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so did that anyway. And that was a hilarious experience because at the time there was no drug tested bodybuilding federation in Ireland. And I'm sure there's someone already listening, thinking, Oh my God, he's not natural. <laughs> if you find the clips of me competing at the RIBBF junior, uh, championships in 2012, if you look at the lineup, 
and then tell me I'm not natural. Uh, good luck to you. Um, but I got I got very lean for it, but I mean, I was completely hamstrung by the fact that I was entering in the junior division. So that was under 23. So I had probably an, an inexperience. Um, uh, I was conceding, you know, experience-wise to, to the other competitors, but it was also an open weight class. So like there's okay. no no limit on the the stage weights. So if you can imagine like me, drug free, uh, I think I stepped on stage at 73 kilos and there were lads on stage with me at a similar height, 90 kilos and okay. lean. So yeah, yeah that'll yeah. kind of put it in perspective for you. I suppose this was before kind of the the broad short bodybuilding right I, I don't know what what that's called but it was kind of before there was men's physique yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> i think it was around the time when that was starting to gather momentum we didn't have it in ireland to the best of my knowledge at the time um so yeah that's a good point is like there there literally there wasn't really any other um avenues i mean i could have gone into the novice division where there were fewer competitors, but they would have been older. So you've always the chance of like a guy who's been training a decade, but just never decided to compete. And he hops in and he's amazing right away. That does happen. Um, and I was just advised to go into the junior category. So, so I did, but it was fine. I, I had great fun and the whole experience was fantastic. So I decided, right, well, this is my thing now. So I wanted to do another show as soon as I could. So I had it in my head that I'd do another one 12 months later. Um, and I managed that whole year very, very poorly. I gained way too much weight in the off season, um, gained a lot of strength and a lot of muscle. So at the time I was like, well, this is fantastic. I'm doing this really well. Um, but I, I like, I gained way too much weight. Um, and then gave myself too much to do when it came to cutting down for the show. Not only that, but this was also, so 2013, so this was around the time when uh, high intensity interval training was all the rage. Mm -hmm. So I was convinced that the, the modality, the, the modality that I had used the previous year to get lean, which was uh, fasted morning walks was dumb, you know, fasting, like not going to increase your fat loss relative to not fasting but that probably wasn't why it was effective for me why it was effective was because um i don't habitually walk a lot so uh it was quite helpful for losing fat in that sense because you know it increased my energy expenditure and the recovery demand was very low so i mean and you're just going for a walk so i mean i'd walk all around castle troy every morning you know the headphones in and just power walk in the morning and then come back in have my breakfast go do my day's work and then um uh, that that was very effective but then of course 2013 i had i had decided well i'm not going to use that approach this year i'm going to do hit sessions instead not only that but this was also around the time when higher frequency training for you know your strength training was being advocated in the in the interwebs uh so what i 
I managed to pigeon my, pigeonhole myself into a position where I was squatting twice a week, I was deadlifting once a week, and I was doing high intensity, like basically Wingate sessions three times a week. Are you familiar with the, what, what a Wingate is? Not, not that term, no. So a Wingate would be, so you, you hop on a stationary bike, you do a five minute warm up, and then you start pedaling as fast as you can whilst jacking up the resistance to the maximum. Okay. And you can do it for 10 to 30 seconds. Of course, I went with the let's do the 30 second protocol because I was an idiot and was like, well, that's harder. So it's got to be better. <laughs> so do that. You're pedaling as hard as you can against maximal resistance for 30 seconds for four to six sprints. So it's effectively doing four to six all out sprint attempts. Okay. So I was doing that to get to get lean. As you can imagine, my knees did, did not like me after a few weeks. But of course, when you're young and dumb and full of something else, you'll, uh, you'll plow through it. <clears throat> uh, and, and I just had it in my head that I was like, no, I got this show coming up. I, I have to power through. Uh, backing off is not an option. And so that obviously didn't end well. And it's the reason why my knees still give me trouble nowadays. Uh, anyway, so then dealing with that injury and also coming into the show, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to look as good as I did the previous year. Cause I was still, I still needed about another six weeks to get as lean as I was the year before. Um, and then the issues with it, that I was having with my knees were, was affecting my training. So <laughs> it's, it's hard to know if like looking at the photos, it probably was a little bit bigger than the year before. But ultimately, I wasn't as lean. And at this point, I had gone into a natural uh, federation, which had been created that year. Um, so on the whole, the overall package wasn't as good. And particularly with the, the natural federations, they're more inclined to favor leanness. You know, like usually the guy who wins is the guy who's the most ripped, not necessarily the guy who's the biggest. Mm -hmm. um, so the, so the, the whole experience was just... It wasn't as satisfying for me. And at that point I was like, right, I need to take a break from this. So I went back to just being a guy who lifted weights for a while. And then I had dabbled with things that aren't powerlifting, but are like powerlifting in the sense that I did some, you remember like the single lift events in oh, the yeah. IDFPA. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's not powerlifting, but it's, it's similar. So it gave me a taste of it. I was like, I, I enjoy this. This is nice. Uh, so did a couple of deadlift only comps and bench only comps, um, which were a lot of fun. And the one thing you could say about them is that, you know, and particularly around that time, like you could be all day at a meet, but those single lift, single lift um, competitions usually out of there pretty quickly. So it was a nice experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then eventually I was just like, right, I guess I'm a powerlifter now. <laughs> so <laughs> signed up for a full meet and it did that. The first one was in 2014 in, uh, in the Mardike in Cork. Um, first time meeting Barry Piggott and Adam Keane and Dan Hurley and, uh, Ken Wazegway as well. 
Um, there's a few others as well that I met that day for the first time. And did Ken compete at that meet? He did, yeah, oh, yeah. Amazing. Um, I didn't know that. So and I and I did all right at that meet, even though it didn't do so good with regards to the attempt selection. Um, and funny story as well. So you know this whole thing about like if you dump a bar in a squat, you know it's the last thing you'll do on a platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob's famous line. Um, I did that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. What what I, kind of was it like Barry at Nationals last year kind of thing or? No, just... it was it was like uh, have you ever seen like a weightlifter fail a squat? Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, to, like to varying severities. Like it <laughs> did it in, just crumple? Like did you just crumple under? No, the bar? it was in dump dump it behind me. Oh okay okay okay. So okay. yeah, that was that was a dick move, but. Um, <laughs> I guess I knew no better. So, and I was, I was used to doing that in training because I'd never trained around spotters and often I would squat on the Olympic platforms with the bumper plates. So it was, it was fair game. Um, so I did that. I also had a shitty bodybuilding belt and funnily enough, when I asked the, um, I guess the committee members, I was like, is, is it okay to use this? And they're like, you can use it but your lifts won't be counted. I was like, right, well, you mean I can't fucking use it then? <laughs> so, so, which I found bizarre because I held this very lightweight bodybuilding belt up against like a, a proper powerlifting belt. And I'm like, are you trying to tell me that I'm getting a, an unfair advantage by using this? Because <laughs> I don't think that's true. Um, but however, I think the issue was the little bit of padding inside of it but whatever um so i borrowed a belt and uh and i used that for deadlifts so so overall it was a very nice experience and um i guess i'm inclined to like if i find something and i like it i tend to go head first into it mm-hmm. um and that's very much what happened with powerlifting and then the coaching thing sort of snowballed alongside that as well because that was shortly after when city gym had been established and uh amazingly enough there wasn't much of a demand for a powerlifting club for men at the time um a lot of the powerlifters in limerick at the time were fairly insular and sort of just doing their own thing either you know in one of the other powerlifting gyms and particularly the un- untested lifters or um you know sort of scattered around commercial gyms and they just they couldn't really be convinced to go and train elsewhere at the time, but there was a big demand for a ladies powerlifting club. So we set up the Limerick ladies drug-free powerlifting club in what was that, late 2014. Um, and looking back on that, it's a bit weird because um, we had a, a huge turnover of lifters we definitely made some mistakes with regards to coaching and stuff, but it just seemed to be sort of, they seem to treat it like, I don't know, like let's just try this for three months and then just pack it in straight afterwards. It was, it was weird. Um, we don't seem to have that anymore. Like people tend to come in and if they like it, they stay. Um, of course people come and go, but, um, anyway, I'm rambling now, so I'm going to move on. Uh, so then 
yeah, 2015, we had the IPF set up and did the first meet there above in Belfast. I was very impressed by that, considering it was the first meet for the Federation. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was in Belfast and you had the, the NIPF influence as well. So mm-hmm. that helped quite a bit. Um, and I, I could kind of see the writing was on the wall in the sense that the IPF were just holding better meets. So, and I had... I had wanted to hold a meet in Limerick for quite a while and I had expressed interest to the committee members of the IDFPA and then sort of got some lukewarm responses and then got a, okay, we'll, we'll definitely have a meet in, in Limerick now. You know, I think it was the InterVarsities 2015. They said, we'll have that in Limerick. All of a sudden then it gets announced for Satanta College in Thurlis which was great for me because I have family in Thurlis. So I was one of the very few people who could actually overnight in Thurlis because there's like one hotel in the whole town. Um, and I had, a, I enjoyed that. But at the same time, I was like, well, you told me we were going to have it in UL and UL is much better equipped to host a meet than uh, Satanta College. So I was just like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure about these guys. And then... I proposed hosting a meet to the IPF then uh, for 2016. Eventually, we ended up having nationals down there. Um, and like, you have to place it in the context of like where we were at with the IPF, where certainly where I was at in terms of hosting meets, because I know I've got an awful lot better at this. Um, some people look back on that meet and laugh as like a God, that was so shit. That was so shit. But uh, I think you you have to put in the context of like, it was about the third IPF meet and the first nationals. um, And there was always going to be some teething problems there. So we did our best under the circumstances, I feel. Um, So then that went, that went well. That meet was for me a very, a very good meet because uh, it actually was enough to qualify me to get to uh, Worlds in Killeen which was just a fantastic experience. And I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity to go there. Um, there's something about being part of the first team in this new iteration of the IPF uh, to go to a, a classic Worlds. And that was, that was incredible. And of course, I spent a lot of it like being like an idiot fanboy asking for photos with different powerlifters and just like you look back on it afterwards you're like they're not sports stars or celebrities that are used to people coming up to them and asking for photos and stuff it's you know it's 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 just weird but um nonetheless i had a great time uh then yeah 2017 was probably my best year in powerlifting um it was the first time we held a meet in City Gym. That's a funny story if, if you want to know more about it. But Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Okay, well, uh, so late 2016, we had decided on the 2017 calendar. And they were like, right, we want to have a meet in Limerick. So I was like, right, well, where could we hold this Um that's close enough to City Gym. Because at the time I was like, nah, City Gym way too small. There is absolutely no way. It would be unsafe. We couldn't host a meeting there. Absolutely not. (laughs) 
So, um, <laughs> so then um, I'd sussed out a, uh, a school hall, which was only like basically across the road from us and had been in contact with a guy who was sort of the guy that you, li you liaise with to, you know, rent out the hall or what have you. Um, and so it was all kind of agreed upon and he'd sent me the paperwork and all the insurance and that was taken care of. And then all of a sudden, um, shit really hit the fan because it turned out that that guy was a very shady individual who had been pocketing hundreds and hundreds of, of euros that he shouldn't have been. And so he was ousted. And then there was like a new committee in the school or whatever. And the whole thing just became, uh, it was far more hassle than it was worth. So I was looking at other schools and different other uh, potential venues that might have been able to host this competition. And uh, none of them were really suitable because there was always the concern around like, you know, someone someone uh, is warming up for their deadlifts. And you know how it is. Like you, you're just like, you, you want to uh, feel confident going onto the platform. So you might just... You know, do your last warm up and then just slam it down onto the onto the floor afterwards. I mean, the, you can be fairly sure that like the competition platform is probably going to be okay, but the warm up can be sometimes it can be a different story. So there was a concern around like doing damage to the floors and stuff like that. Eventually, Gar just kind of said to me, like, Arthur, man, like, do you think we could host it here? So I, was like, I, I really, I don't know, man, but it's looking like we might have to. And so then I said it to Rob and I was like, look, the place is small, but we'll make every um, effort that we can to ensure that it's as safe as possible. We'll take as much stuff out of it as we can and uh, just do all we can all weekend to ensure that it runs well. And he was like, Arthur, I trust you. You might not have said those words exactly, but. <laughs> more or less he's like I'm, I'm i'm cool you guys you know what you're doing so then i chatted with my friend chris uh who is he's really the driving force behind a lot of the um the city gym meets and why they've been so successful is he's a he's a sort of a freelance events management guy <laughs> it's it's sort of a side project for me like the guy's addicted to work. He, he has a full-time job and then does this on top of it. So um, I, I said to him, do you think we could host a meet here? And he laughed and he was like, yeah, of course you can. I've, I've held, I set up CrossFit competitions in spaces smaller than this. And you know how chaotic CrossFit is. And I was like, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> so long story short, uh, we managed to set it up. It was an enormous, like a monumental effort on the part of Chris, myself, Stephen, uh, Gar, um, Donica, if you remember him, he, he, he helped out, uh, and the other coaches. And then like, uh, I, I'm, I'm just so afraid that I'm not going to mention someone who was really important. <laughs> so I've probably dug an awful hole for myself there, but, um, a, like a monumental effort on the entire on the part of the entire city gym community to set the place up. We, so if you've ever been to city gym, you know, on a normal day, you'd see how 
kitted out it is and all the stuff that's on the ground floor we to basically take everything that wasn't a plate or a barbell or a rubber mat or a or an er rack out of there and either throw it upstairs or throw it into the the garage next door oh man that was that was torture <laughs> that was <laughs> it's a big awful task. Um, because we had to dismantle a lot of stuff, and then mm. some stuff is just so heavy and awkward, and um, but we managed it. Uh, we pulled a drape across the front of the rig. We um built the competition platform that week, so I managed to secure some offcuts of a rubber flooring that had been used for the gym in in the UL Arena, and that laid the foundation of the competition platform. We put some boards on top of it, and then I got a carpet as well. I brought it out from uh, the carpet store in my little Renault Clio. And, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that guy just must have thought I was insane, but whatever. Um, <laughs> brought, brought that in, uh, built it, like, the night before. So, you know, it all went fine, but it was the kind of thing where, like, if this didn't work out, we were fucked, you know what I mean? <laughs> then a metal frame around the outside of it so so built that and it actually looked grand um before it got caked in all sorts of white powder um then set up the alico rack put up the, the competition banner um set up the warm-up room uh and then yeah meat went on grand it, it, everything ran pretty well there were some teething problems as, as there's always going to be when you do a thing like this for the first time but generally the feedback was was very very positive and like something i tried to do is not not to try and reinvent the wheel but every time we have a new meet just try and improve on the last one a little bit you know so it might be it might be something simple like instead of having uh like we had no chalk ball i think that the first the first time so it's like uh sorry no no we had a chalk bowl just immediately off the platform, but none in the warm-up area. And it's a little awkward walking around and stuff. So I was like, all right, next time I'll put one in the, the back room. Um, I'll get another deadlift jack. Or uh, in recent years, we we uh, we rented screens so that we could do away with the kind of projector and the, um, you know, the, the, the projector and screen instead of so we TV screens now. Um, and that saved a lot of space, which if you've been to City Gym, is a, is an important consideration. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the, the only downside to that weekend of that first meet was it absolutely ruined me. And again, coming back to some of my stubbornness um, that I talked about from the bodybuilding days. Of course, I was, I was meant to be squatting heavy the Monday night after the meet. And like an idiot, heavy. persisted. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then that that was the genesis of the issues I've been having with my back pretty much ever since. Um, that was when like, like that, that training session, like it, something didn't feel right, but it was kind of the, one of those things where, hmm, it's kind of sore, but if I brace really hard, I can get through it. Um, so I did another, whatever, three or four sets. And then next day, couldn't get out of bed. Um, so I was like, oh, fuck. But 
it, it, I recovered pretty quickly and I was probably back to 95% about two weeks later. Um, part of the reason why I didn't back off was because I had to meet myself like in three weeks from that training session. Uh, so I recovered, did the meet, and then I was fine for most of 2017, actually. And as I was saying, that's probably my best year. Um, we had the, the meet in Belfast, which Jack talked about on the episode he did with you a few weeks ago. And, and he said that it was probably his favorite competition. It's definitely my favorite competition being a part of because ah, just it was just a fantastic spectacle. I mean, I love the fact that they were telling us that we needed to turn the music down because we were we were drowning out the sound of all the other events. Like no one was looking at the strongman competition beside us. Or the, like, did you know there was a bodybuilding show on there? Like I didn't see anyone on like <laughs> watching that or anyone on stage. Um, and it was also the best of the Irish Muscle Power Expos. Uh, like they had good stalls, like they had protein ice cream that was actually really tasty. Like uh, mobile coffee vans, um, uh, the, the, the apparel stands were nice. And yeah, it was just between that and then you had Gino and I was in a really confident position where I was at with everything. Um, and I had come off the back of a, a good meet in Belarus and everything was just going really well. Um, so that, that day was, yeah, that, that was really, really special. A couple of kids came up to me afterwards as well and asked for a photo and an autograph, which was really <laughs> fucking weird. I was like, no, I, I, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be looking up to me, kids find a better hero. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, then did another meet then later that year matched my total it was it was all right it was it was fine um there's a video of like a a deadlift that takes me about 10 seconds to lock out but uh and it, like I, I i loved it and it was great at the time but like looking back it, you know I, I don't i probably don't think i should have got the lift but it was it was fantastic at the time and look I've had I've had decisions go the other way as well. So take the take the rub of the green when you get it. That's sport. Um, so then, uh, what are we on to then? 2018, 2018 uh, went to Calgary. Uh, with the Irish team. I'm starting to get some issues with my back around that time as well. And what was funny about that meet was when we got onto deadlifts, I was like, I'm I'm not in. I'm in trouble here. Um, and so I said to the lads, will you drop my opener five kilos? So I did that. So I was like, all right, open, whatever it was, it was two, 280. So I'll, that, that's fine. Um, so then go up to do my last warm up at 250 and it doesn't budge. Um, and then I was like, oh, oh right. <laughs> quite a spot of bother here. <laughs> because as you know, you can only change your opener once. Um, so I somehow managed it. I picked the thing up off the floor and, uh, put what, it down. What, what was the opener? Uh, I think, sorry, it was 285, I think. Um, so oh. look, I have no idea how I managed to lift it. And <laughs> I was, I was in discomfort before and after it. The only position that was comfortable was like standing and walking around. 
you know, if you sat down, because, you know, you'd sit down between attempts and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. my back would just stiffen up and get sore. So I was like, right, I'm just going to stay on my feet the entire time. Um, I pulled the opener and I was like, right, I'm, I'm done, lads. Put 290 on it there so that LS has a an extra minute, you know, for for his next attempt because I kind of I kind of wanted him to, to win mm-hmm. um and he came out he came up after afterwards and, and thanked me for for doing that so at least some good came out of my misfortune but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and and then just dealing with some back issues kind of on and off since then I funnily enough had another meet later on that year and if anyone who has been listening doesn't think I'm absolutely fucking insane at this point. They will when they hear this story. So I entered that name under a, I entered that competition under a pseudonym, um, which was James Howlett, because I, I just so something that really annoys me is when people ask me. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. But uh, when people ask me, you know, any competitions coming up or when's the next com- competition, like. People will barely say hello to me and ask me about it. I've had someone ask me <laughs> as I'm warming up during a meet, when's the next competition? <laughs> like, like sometime so, soon, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like, I don't know, maybe in five minutes. Uh, <laughs> you know? um, and then just a combination of factors. And, you know, it, it used to give me paranoia seeing my name on the list. And it's like, Others will see my name there now and this kind of thing. So I was just like, just like as a joke, I'll, I'll, I'll enter as James Howlett. And uh, I was sort of 50-50 as to whether I was going to do the meet. And that gave me an out as well, because it's like, well, if James Howlett pulls out, no one knows who that is. So um, I'll, uh, I'll do that and see how it goes. Turns <laughs> out uh, it was the best meet of my life. <laughs> and... and uh, yeah, and then since then it's just been various degrees of regression from from there. Um, but uh, the, the the Wolverine thing then, like, that was kind of strange because uh, as a kid, like Wolverine was like my favorite kind of cartoon character. I was never into comics, but I used to watch the X Men cartoons and and things like that, and the X Men movies came out, and Wolverine was always my favorite character. And then I remember in 2011 uh the first time that i i'd let my hair get out of hand someone uh said to me oh you look uh you look like hugh jackman and i was like oh very nice <laughs> very nice I'll, I'll roll with that and uh then i don't know like screamer manual talks about this like when he was first squatting 180 there was a certain amount of noise uh, which was intensified when he started squatting 220 and that increased again when he was squatting 250 all the way up to like 331 like when he was at his peak uh, level of decibels um, <laughs> it was something similar to that it was just like like a combination of nerves and like wanting to just distract myself from the the weight on the bar and stuff like that and and of course then it would be this sort of this cycle of like you know get really animated and, and out of hand and then the lift goes well so it's like oh right okay so there's something to this and you keep doing that it's positive feedback loop right exactly and um you know you look at this the the yerks dodson um the inverted u 
kind of performance arousal curve and just like okay so there's at least some theoretical underpinning whereby like for me when i get really animated um my performance seems to increase you know um for someone else they try to do that it, it doesn't suit them everyone's got their own kind of individual zone of optimal performance um and it's it is a bit theoretical and you know it's 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 hard to to properly underpin it but just for me i found that that's where i performed best was when i shouted got animated literally tried to convince myself i'm the wolverine um and i would do the things with the with the sideburns and then you know get the wax and 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 put the hair up but i know it's ridiculous i am insane but uh <laughs> it works it it did it did um and then that kind of brings us to the present day uh hadn't really been focusing on powerlifting too much of late because the sport doesn't exist at the moment uh, mm -hmm. in ireland that's true um that's true. it's funny you you yeah. can tell you've done is it 150 episodes of the no lift podcast you've done at this point is it close to that I've certainly recorded 150. About 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I had about I had about 10 questions and I asked you one of them and I now have maybe two questions left. You just you just covered them all by yourself. You can tell you you've done well, this before. I, I said at the start how extensive you want to be here. So <laughs> it's your own fault. Um, it was fantastic. No, I really enjoyed it. Um the quick question I have before I move yeah. on to the next one is the city gym meet. Was that in mm. April of 2017, the first one? It, um, or was there one before that? I think it was in, oh, yes. So it was, it would have been late February 2017, because I know then we, we had another one then in April, the, mm. the, the intervarsities. Or the, sorry, the, the university comes. Okay. Intervarsities is uh, IDF failing. Oh, <laughs> So I was actually at that, that, um, the first city gym comp in February, yeah. uh, coaching on the day. And I had no idea. I own that. This is my first time hearing that that was the first city gym meet. I don't know why I thought yeah. there had been city gym meets before. It was great. I would not have guessed that was the first meet at all. It was, it, you wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah. And I mean, like I was saying that the, the, the 2016 nationals in UL, I'd like to think I learned a few things along the way with that mm -hmm. and the thing about city gym is that like how often have you gone to a meet that's in like a community hall or some some big venue that's just completely inappropriate and it completely dilutes the the atmosphere mm -hmm. and the sound just gets drowned out and like sometimes i've been at them and jesus christ like the the person on the the microphone it's like it's dead as a nail in here but the thing about city gym because it's in inverted commas too small it's like Thomond park because you're on top of the lifter mm -hmm. and it, you you generate this this atmosphere just by virtue of it being so small and like with the low ceiling and everything and it's why it's actually a, a really special place to hold a competition um you know it's it's actually it, it it's an ambition of mine to to compete there one day if i can if i can if because like that whole weekend i don't know if you've ever seen me but i'm not that fun to be around because i'm i'm so stressed just trying to keep the show on the road and 
like you will keep yourself very busy if all you do is just empty toilets clean the floors and uh, empty bins and things like that mm-hmm. um so d- d- thus far i i haven't really been in a position to um be able to compete at, at a competition i could do it but it, it would be it would be a token sort of gesture and i don't really want to do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you mentioned there a while ago um about this was you, one of the questions that we had was, was did your athletic pursuits influence your your uh, academic choices or your career choices? And you, you already said, yes, mm-hmm. uh, they did. But you mentioned it was sports science, right? Sports, sport and exercise science in, in UL yeah, was yeah. the undergrad you did. Uh, tell yeah. us a little more about, about that. What was your experience with that? And, and did it live up to your expectations? And, and what did you go on to do after that? Um, so uh, it, by and large, yes. I mean, I had been kind of told going in, it's like, look, it's a great course. It's probably the best sport and exercise science or equivalent course in the country. But just don't don't do it and come out of there thinking that you'll walk straight into a job. So I was fully aware of that going in. I was like, I, I knew that like this wouldn't be, this was part of the journey, not the destination. Um, and... I mean, it's like, it's like every course, you know, it, it trains you well in certain areas and there are some, um, deficiencies definitely, but you know, that's the same with every course. And uh, like, it's funny, you know, the, the, the department I mean is, is PE and sports science and those two would be always kind of there'd be kind of an over and back there between the two. Like I remember like one year there was uproar because some of the PE students, they got hoodies that uh, said um, uh, PESS. So like physical education and sports science. So the hoodies say PESS, physical education, something, something. So it was, it was always this aggro between the two. But the, the weird thing is that like, the PE teachers could definitely learn a thing or two from from a sitting down and having a chat with a sports scientist. But the sports scientists could most definitely learn a thing or two from sitting down and having a chat with the PE students because they most definitely outclassed us when it came to like communication skills and these kind of things and all this sort of stuff that I probably wish I put, paid more heed of, particularly with how socially challenged I am. Um, when it came to some of the coaching stuff because I think that would have stood to me a lot you know a lot better I mean like you can read research papers till you're blue in the face and know so much about what there is to know about training nutrition or whatever but if you can't communicate it properly if you can't have a fucking conversation with someone you're you're not going to do well you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh don't know where i was going with that but anyway <laughs> um oh sorry yeah sports science so so yeah like like what do you want to know about it do, are you, is this thinking of someone who might be uh considering pursuing it or or i suppose that it just as someone who got into it you know i, I assume that you got into it with the intent of kind of like maybe furthering your athletic pursuits by virtue of of knowing all this kind of uh, would I be kind of off the mark there 
it's a bit of a stretch to think of bodybuilding, which is what I got into it for as a as an athletic pursuit. <laughs> and I don't I don't mean that I don't really mean that tongue in cheek. You know, it's like it's you're talking about hypertrophy and fat loss effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not the same as like like studying. I I I don't know. I, I, like virtually a- anything to do with any other pursuit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, sporting wise. But yeah, de- that was definitely what I was hoping to to gain out of it. So every time I was sat in a lecture, I was listening or viewing the 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 content through the. I used to say I'm 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 viewing this through bodybuilding glasses or I'm listening to this through bodybuilding earphones. I was, I was very selfish about it. I was like, all right, how could this content be applied to what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, that was obviously a, a, an effective strategy for me again. Cause I, I, I got a good degree at the end of it. I, you know, I got, I got a, I got a, a one, one out of it. And obviously then, you know, the, uh, the lecturers that uh, you know they, that uh, I approached about doing the PhD, then down the line, like they they obviously thought so too because, like, they took me on as a student, and th- that's without having a master's degree as well, which usually would be a, a prerequisite. Um, so yeah, yeah. I suppose what I was really looking looking for was kind of just the story, uh, the the lead on to the PhD, your experience with the PhD, and, and things like that. What what did you do a PhD in even? And I introed you incorrectly. It should have been Doctor Arthur Lynch. My apologies. <laughs> Daniel Lennon has been having a lot of fun with this recently. I've so seen a actually... few different memes. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, oil to massage my ego and what have you. He's changed the bio on the Sigma website to Doctor Arthur Lynch, comma PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so you get it in there twice um which is grateful i love danny um but uh okay so m- maybe i'll talk about how i got into it because it's 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 an interesting story or maybe not <laughs> um, we'll see we'll see we'll see uh so in yeah in in, in my final year of sports science i i thought right okay I'm not comfortable with where my level of knowledge is at. And that, that was what really, what it stemmed from was like, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with where I'm at with this. And even looking back, it's, a, it's, I'm so relieved I pursued it because you would not believe some of the nonsense I've fallen for over the years. Like the, the story about the hit training was one, but just like, it, it really pissed me off how I fell for such nonsense. And just my critical thinking skills were just so poor um they were non-existent basically um and even just to the point of like like okay this thing is a published research study so i should just believe it it's like no (laughs) like that study could be a heap of shit but i i wasn't at the point where i could properly critique a study even you know so as i ran i'm just not happy with where i'm at knowledge-wise, critical thinking skills-wise. So I want to, I want to pursue a post-grad. Um, there was also an agreement that like, 
No, actually, we won't go there. But uh, I, I was going to say that I was kind of going to be paying my own way once I finish my undergrad. But I don't want to negatively implicate my my parents because they've fully supported me one hundred percent the whole way, and uh, it would be it would be unfair to, to to do that. And in fact, they actually did have to support me the last year <laughs> of, of the PhD. But anyway, um, so I, I was like, okay, I don't have I don't have money to like to pay for either a PhD or a master's degree. So that, that was what kind of led me to just reach out to some of the lecturers in UL and be like, Hey, you know, I, I'm interested in doing a PhD. Have you any projects, um, in the pipeline and you know, any, like, are they funded basically? Because I wouldn't have been in a position to do a PhD if there wasn't funding there. And as my supervisor would say to you, if you want to do a PhD, you need a project, you need a supervisor, and you need funding. Um, so it, that led me to one individual who said, yeah, we're taking on students for a project next year. We're going to be looking at physical activity and health. Um, I won't bore you with the details because eventually we, we applied for the funding for the project didn't get it and then it was kind of like uh, I was kind of getting lukewarm responses from the guy after that so I said alright that's that's dead in the water meanwhile City Gym comes along at the same time so that was around the same time when I started in City Gym and so I spent that year of you know 2014 to um, summer of 2015 as just being a freelance personal trainer going between UL Arena and city gym most days on my bicycle um coaching and training and well a, a lot of the time in city gym and anyone who, who's been there for an appreciable amount of time will know like a, a lot of the time you're just hanging out there just shooting the shit with gar um or some of the other coaches that were there at the time but but mostly gar and uh then a few months later um a guy shared a, a post with me from Twitter that was from my old physiology lecturer advertising two PhD positions that they were they were taking on for the next academic year. Um, so I followed up with them and I said, what's the deal here? And he said, uh, come on in and we'll have a chat. We met, we talked about the project and uh, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. We did the application. It was successful and I got in. Um, the problem was is that they, they were very keen on me as a student and I was very keen on a PhD. The problem was is that the project itself was on a fairly tenuous sort of link. So it was going to be investigating omega-3 fish oil supplementation in young, healthy, resistance training individuals um, to seeing if it could augment the adaptations to training. And in simple language, that's if you take fish oils and you train, uh, will you have more hypertrophy at the end of it compared to if you didn't take the fish oils? Um, does that make sense? Yep, yep, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And it was based on two acute studies, and one of them was in older adults, where they found an improved muscle protein synthetic response to amino acid uh, ingestion 
when they were supplemented with um, fish oils for 12 weeks before before that. And if you know anything about muscle physiology and, and older adults, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's well up in this, right? What else do people spend their time doing? <laughs> but, but one of the things is you might've heard of this term anabolic resistance. Yeah. So what that basically means is say if someone like you or I take a 20 gram dose of protein, you'll see an elevation in muscle protein synthesis. And if you give that same dose to an older adult, they will see an increase in muscle protein synthesis, but there is this blunting of the response. So the, the, the response won't be as uh, profound as it would be in a, a young individual. So the, the fish oil supplementation appeared to be acting on that and sort of was recovering some of that anabolic resistance. So that's great. But the problem was, is that wasn't my target population. So that didn't really carry over to young individuals. Cause it's like, well, if there's no, if there's nothing attenuated or there's nothing that's uh, blunted, well then you're not recovering anything. So you would have to surmise that the fish oil would, would have to be, um, uh, like having an effect over and above the, 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 the normal healthy response to, to training. Um, so I was, I was lukewarm about whether or not that would have any effect whatsoever. And about eight months in, there was a study published that was basically along the lines of what we were trying to do and found nothing. So at that point we were just like, nah, lads, this is, this is dead in the water. So, um, so then my supervisor said to me, like, right, if not fish oils, then what else? And I don't know if it would just, I just wanted to sound like I had an answer or, or what, or it might've been something I'd read, uh, before going into that meeting. But I said, what about HMB? And I don't know if you guys are familiar with HMB. It's a, it's a metabolite of leucine. Um, and the problem with HMB, or I suppose why I was always uneasy about it is because it has a very, um, it has a fair, fairly tainted recent history. So there was a couple of studies that came out in 2013 and 2014, basically showing like steroid-like effects from HMB um, from this guy, Jacob Wilson. Um, and there was a, a, there was at least one letter to the editor of the journal in, in which one of those papers was published, um, basically saying, these are some fairly extraordinary claims. Um, we're very skeptical of this. Uh, and, and it had like, oh my God, the, the list of authors on that letter to, to the editor, it was like, it was like a list of who's who in, in sports nutrition. It was I think, I think I definitely remember Lane Norton complaining about this or talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So funnily enough, do you remember they used to have a show called muscle college radio? I definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a really good podcast, but then that disappeared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is basically why it's because of this shady HMB stuff. Um, and I'm not sure if, if Wilson kind of told Lane and said, Hey, look, you want in on this? or if it was a case of like Lane found out on his own or something, but he wasn't comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So he, he pulled the plug in that whole relationship. Um, as Lane, as Lane does. <laughs> as Lane does. Yeah. Uh, they, they, 
they said it was done. Uh, and so 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 i was always kind of uneasy about that because like even when you'd say to someone who was aware of that that oh yeah i'm studying hmb there was sort of a an eyebrow raised with it um not only that but another group that were you know some of these hmb skeptics uh conducted some studies that were trying to replicate the the work of Wilson to because you know again they were just like this this doesn't add up so we're going to replicate those studies and see what happens shockingly they didn't find the same results um so that sort of refuted what Wilson was um uh what, what Wilson had published but the, the other thing was it, it, it wasn't good news for me because it showed, well, HMB is not going to do anything. And these guys have already done those kind of studies. So it's very hard because this is the thing when you're doing a PhD, you, you, you're always looking for like, what's your novel contribution to the knowledge base? So this was a, a source of great frustration for me. And the relationship with my supervisor sort of broke down um, around that time. And like, it was a very amicable split. I'm actually starting working on a new project with him actually next month, but we just felt that for both of us, it was just best if we just parted ways. Um, so we did. So I formed a new supervisory team with my original co-supervisor who became my main supervisor and two other supervisors. And for a while we were thinking of keeping up the, the HMB project i had actually sourced some hmb like there was a a 10 kilo bag of hmb sitting in my spare room for about a year <laughs> which is just the most hilarious story ever um and uh wondering how to get that into capsules was like the next thing and, but I, I wasn't i wasn't gone on the hmb stuff so i i've just like the motivation wasn't there and and as my supervisor said to me like if 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 the motivation to do this isn't there now, it's not going to be there when you're a few months into data collection and you fucking hate yourself and it's early mornings and if it feels like there's no end in sight, like that motivation has to be there from the get-go to, to carry you through. And he was right. Um, but something I had been doing as a bit of a side project at that time was looking at isometric squat testing. Um, because it was curious to me how, like, so we either do a one rep max test, say like a squat or something, and there's concerns around that. And there's also like, imagine if I said to you, Adam, uh, will you enroll in this study for me? It's like, uh, cool. What's involved? Well, we're going to test your squat max. Um, then we're going to test it again a week later and we're going to put you through this training program and then retest at the end of it. Like. You'd be kind of like, I, I think I'll pass, man. I'm, I'm all right. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other side of the strength testing continuum, if you like, you have something like an isokinetic dynamometer, which is basically like a seated leg extension where you can fix either the speed of the contraction or you can do it isometrically at a particular joint angle. Um, it's a fantastic tool, but the... The external validity of it is is limited unless if you're 
you know, testing like an injured athlete. We want to see where their, their strength is at, that kind of thing. Um, or for non-performance based paradigms, it's, it's, it's very useful. But for what I was interested in, it, it didn't quite have the characteristics I wanted. The isometric squat seemed like a happy medium between the two because the biomechanics are similar to a back squat but you still have a lot of the measurement control and that that's afforded by the dynamometer. Um, and then just by chance, I happened to do a reliability study on it because um, a colleague of mine was using it for his PhD and he had no reliability study on it. Um, so that's basically to, to tell like how, how variable is the data that you get from it if you test it today and you come back in a few days and you test it again. What's the day-to-day -day variability that's associated with it? Um, so I said, right, I'll do that study for you. So I already kind of had that in the bank. And then around the time that the HMB stuff was falling apart, I was getting more interested in the isometric squat stuff. So we basically halfway through the PhD, changed the direction again, and then went down this route of the isometric uh, uh, squat testing thing. So it wasn't like that this was like, some passion I've had for many years and I'm just I'm just really fascinated with isometrics you know um <laughs> the, no it wasn't that it was it was just just sort of happened by chance so the next study then I don't know do you want me to go through this because this would probably yeah yeah go for it go for it I'm loving this okay so oh, such a nerd but like <laughs> so the <laughs> principles of you're among <laughs> friends principles of measurement um, evaluation. So if you think of these, so you've got like, you know, your specificity, your reliability, your sensitivity, objectivity, subjectivity. Um, I was interested in measurement sensitivity. And basically what I mean by this is like, so if we use this isometric squat thing, we test you on that, we get your peak force, we give you a training program. And at the end of it, we retest your, your peak force. Is the, is the measurement actually sensitive enough to detect a change in strength? Because that was one of the concerns as, in, as well with the, with the dynamometer, for example, is because it's, it's, it's a very reliable measure, but it's not particularly sensitive to a general training program. So this is where like some of these theoretical conversations around like specificity versus generality of, of training and this this all kind of applied here so it's like how how general is the adaptation that the, the isometric squat can, de can detect it um so to do that I, I did exactly as i described you know i i tested recreationally trained subjects on the isometric squat and the one around back squat uh, gave them a six-week training program and then retested those um interestingly these the isometric squat was uh, broadly speaking, it was sensitive enough to detect an increase in strength. And the increase was similar to what you'd see in the 1RM. But the problem was is that across the group, it was very variable. So some guys were like increasing a shitload and some were increasing very little. And compared to the 1RM, which was much more, um, much a much tighter mean response or a, a much tighter variability, a more... Um, homogeneous uh, response, whereas the, the isometric squat was more heterogeneous. Um, 
So it's like, all right, well, that's that's interesting. That's a that's a useful finding there. Um, and then at this point, I was at a bit of a crossroads, and I rem I remember having a particular PhD meeting where I, I gave a sort of a, a presentation to my supervisors about where I'm at with the thing and where I think we should go next. At that point, something that had interested me was, um, so you'd be familiar with like sticking points, obviously, powerlifters. Yeah. Um, what a stupid thing to say. Um, but, uh, but what interested what interested me was training to specifically improve your strength in around your sticking point. Because I mean, if you think about it, your one RM squat is not limited by how much you can lift at the end range. So, you know, you know, of course, this is why people in commercial gyms will do quarter squats because they can lift more weight than if they were to go all the way down. Um, it's, it's limited by and large, it's limited by how much strength you have in the sticking point or the sticking region, depending on where you read, there might be a little bit of, it might be seen as more of a range than a, than a point, but that's, that's actually a contentious issue in, in the literature. Um, but anyway, so I, I had this thought in my head of like, well, if we did some isometric training in around the sticking point and we could see an increase in someone's strength measured through the isometric squat in that position would that carry over then to more weight on the bar and i'm not talking about doing something retarded by like you know one group does exclusively squatting isometrically in that position and the other group does regular back squats like that's not what i was talking about what I was talking about would be, say, if you had, let's say you have two groups. Um, one group does, say, six sets of squats. The other group does three sets of regular squats plus three sets of isometric squats at, in around that sticking point. That, that kind of idea, that wouldn't be a perfect design, but that would be, broadly speaking, what you'd be trying to compare. Um, uh, so that's what I wanted to do. And I pitched that to my supervisors. They were like, ah, no, just with, to do that, like you'd need to get this many subjects to get statistical power and just, uh, they just weren't gone on it. What they were interested in was, and I was interested in this too, but just not to the same degree was, um, so one of my early observations with the isometric squat, because it's performed on top of two platforms is that you can measure how much force you're producing on the left and right leg. Um, so you can effectively, you can calculate how asymmetrical someone is. So I think when I measured mine, I had about a 10% difference between my legs, which wasn't a surprise to me. I've always been stronger off my left leg, <laughs> but it was interesting. So it's like, you know, so you hear all this kind of thing kind of anecdotally around like imbalances and asymmetries and you know something that i i had sort of seen in a few places and it's funny uh, our, our boy was at it again this week uh, as i know you're a big fan of squat university um, absolutely some of the <laughs> the exercises that he was uh prescribing for to fix imbalances um one of them being like Bul bulgarian split squats and it's like that's an interesting theory, but I'm not actually aware of any data showing that that is the case. That like if we 
if you train with Bulgarian split squats, and let, let me just qualify what I'm saying here. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do them. And I'm not saying that they're a perfectly legitimate exercise to do, to train your legs and to, you know, as part of an overall training program. But to do them for the purpose of correcting imbalances between legs, I was just like, that, that's a very interesting theory, but I, I don't know if it's ever been shown. Mm -hmm. um, so from my sensitivity study, the one that I talked about before, I already, I already had the, the asymmetry response to a bilateral training program because subjects in that study did uh, back squats and deadlifts. So I, know, I knew at that point what was the asymmetry response to a bilateral training program. So I said in the next study, I'll compare that to a unilateral training program. So it gave subjects Bulgarian split squats and single leg RDLs, which aren't like you could argue that the Bulgarian split squat is it's a it's a bilateral asymmetrical movement rather than being a purely unilateral movement. Mm -hmm. It's about a fifth. It's about eighty five percent of the contributions coming from the front leg and fifteen percent from the rear. So it's, it's pretty good. Um, or it's, it's, it's pretty close to like a unilateral movement. Mm -hmm. um, and so then got those subjects to do a six week training program and then retested the, the 1RM and the, um, the isometric squat uh, at the end of it. Uh, before I go any further, I, I, am I still making sense here? Have, have absolutely. I lost, yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. I, one, so, one, yeah, so I think I detected a hint of sarcasm there from Connor, but <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Cause just, just, just call me in this because I, I know this very well in my head, but it doesn't mean I can explain it very well. Um, so we're measuring the asymmetries on the isometric squat. We know what the response is to a bilateral training program. And then we give the, the other group, then the, the unilateral training program to see what the response is there. Long story short, it's a fucking minefield. <laughs> it, oh, like it, like the percent asymmetry goes every which way. Okay. Um, the only time you could get anything that resembled some sort of a clear pattern was this, was if you used a, a cutoff. So let's say, for example, and this is coming back to the the reliability thing. So, like day to day, and even man, even like. I'll get into this a little more later on, but like even within the same session, there's, there's a lot of variability in this asymmetry response, but using the peak force. So using the contraction that gave us the, the highest force output. And then we compare the ref, left and right leg. And we look at the asymmetry. Those who presented with 10% or more asymmetry. So 10% or more difference between legs at baseline. Um, and we're given the uh, bilateral training program. They, we, we saw a significant reduction in their asymmetry. Um, the unilateral group, it depended on the position you tested it at. So when we did it at a 120 degree knee angle, which would be akin to like a quarter squat, um, no change 
but when we tested it at a 90 degree knee angle, uh, there was a reduction. Now, two issues there is that when you use that cutoff of 10%, you reduce the sample size down quite a bit. So for example, in the, in the, in the first group where they did bilateral training, what was a group of 18 became a group of seven. And in the unilateral training group, what was a group of 13 became a group of five. Um, and you can't draw any confident conclusions about a sample size of five. You just can't. Um, and then the other thing was this position specific response. So it's like, it, depending on the position you test this asymmetry at, um, you can get a different result. So like anyone who can conclude from that and say, right, you can train to reduce your asymmetry and think like, say that confidently is talking out of their backside. Um, did you look and, at whether that is to have any, even to correct these asymmetries, would that even have any measurable impact on let's, let's just take a back squat as a, yeah, as an we did. outcome. We did because we had that data there because we we tested their one rm and don't forget we also have the peak force as well so if you think theoretically right let's say you had an asymmetry 10 percent difference between the legs and if we reduce that what happens to the peak force um yeah. there was no statistical there was no significant relationship there at all you love to see it <laughs> you do I love do. to see it <laughs> nothing yeah so um you can do unilateral training if you want but don't do it for the purpose of correcting quote-unquote imbalances it mm -hmm. just it doesn't my bias yeah. is well and truly confirmed <laughs> right yeah <laughs> this yeah. is why we brought you on earth and and yeah and like uh, you'll have to stop me at some point because uh, i'll go down some rabbit holes that are just i'm uh, not a good idea but <laughs> like the whole the whole uh thing about the asymmetries is that whole field is a fucking minefield man, because it's so specific to the test you use so i mean you'll get a different like for instance right if you take um the isometric mid-thigh pull if you perform that on two legs and you calculate the asymmetry versus if you perform it on uh if you perform it on one leg and then on the other leg and then combine the two together, you get a different uh, percent uh, um, asymmetry. Uh, if you test an isometric squat, you'll get a different asymmetry compared to um, like a counter movement jump or even within the isometric squat, depending on what variable you're looking at, you could get one figure for your asymmetry on your peak force and then another figure for your asymmetry on your rate of force development it's just the the whole thing is just so variable that to be able to draw any kind of confident conclusions about it it's very very difficult so what you're saying arthur is that the the people on instagram who draw these very confident conclusions are wrong <laughs> or might be wrong I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not that, I'm, I've, I'm genuinely lads. I'm a, I'm a very average intelligence. And if you know me long enough, you'll know that that, that is the truth, but I just don't see it. I, I don't know where it's coming from. 
I think it's yeah. uh, like you, you talked about critical thinking earlier. It's kind of um, it's a skill. It's something you kind of have to, to yeah. flex and build. And a lot of the, the specific issues come from, I read a book recently, uh, The Irrational Ape. Um, fantastic book, but it, it was my first exposure to the, to the concept of uh, converse error. And I just see it yeah. everywhere now. I, I walk around and I'm seeing it wherever I go. <laughs> so like this this thing of like, you know, Bulgarian split squats, squat you recommending Bulgarian split squats to fix the imbalance. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not balanced when I'm doing Bulgarian split squats. So there's, you know, I'm working on balance and uh, I have an imbalance. So put those two things together and the conclusion is I'm fixing my imbalance. And I think a lot of people fall fall victim to, victim to that. I think a lot of people could do it just being aware of things like that. Yeah. And I'll just reiterate the point because someone out there is probably going to take this and say, ah, Never fuck, Arthur said, don't do Bulgarian split squats. <laughs> yeah. like, they're a fucking dumb exercise. If you see someone in the gym doing that, he's a fucking idiot. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you are doing something like a Bulgarian split squat or any other movement, I think on his list he had fucking Turkish get-ups. I, I don't know. Oh, I don't Jesus. know why you would do a Turkish get-up. But anyway, um, that's beside the point. But if you're doing something like a Bulgarian split squat in the hope of fixing your quote-unquote imbalances, that is a very flawed logic. And the evidence that I have read, based on what's published in the literature, wouldn't seem to support that premise. They're perfectly fine exercises to do. There's actually one study that showed um, similar increases in, in one around back squat strength when subjects were uh, only did Bulgarian split squats compared to those who just did uh, regular back squats. Now their, their one around is around 150 or so. So, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be getting too excited over that, but I mean, it shows it's a very good exercise to strengthen your legs. Absolutely. But fixing imbalances, I'm, I'm just not sure. I have the list actually in front of me and this post is a minefield. Never mind the the study of imbalances. Jesus mm. Christ. Yeah. Could I turn things back on you guys for a moment? Sure. So something that I've been thinking about recently is like, you know, for example, client of mine, um, you know, they've been dealing with some issues with their knees and they said, look, almost like they felt guilty down it's like i actually found some of the stuff squat you was saying to be very very helpful so like at that point i'm just like right like you you have to not make the client feel like you don't want them to feel stupid or something like that you know you don't want them to feel bad about it and the other thing you don't want to create this scenario of like where where they feel like they're a bold school child telling their parent or their teacher about something or they're they're even worse, they're not telling them because they're afraid, oh, I get in trouble. Um, no, it's, it's, it's two adults with this like common goal of like making the, the client better. Um, so I was like, right, I'll just be completely open here and just be like, right, well, what were some of the things that he was advocating that you found helpful? And what it kind of boiled down to was like, well, when he performed an isometric wall sit before his training, he found that that alleviated his pain enough to go and train. Um, so rather than just kind of pointing the figure and be like, well, no, you shouldn't be looking at Squat University. All that stuff is dumb. Uh, to, like, to, to go somewhere else for your information. 
I mean, I was kind of just like, man, that's like, if you're finding that helpful and it's allowing you to train, there's no reason for me to say that you should stop doing that. Um, and again, like this is something talking about critical thinking. And I mean, I mentioned communication earlier on, but like, what would be your guys' thoughts on that now? Would you have a different approach or what do you think? Because I'm sure you've come across a client that has, you know, they've they've watched Squat University or some other <laughs> guru and then they've done something by them and then they come back to you and it's, uh, yeah, what, what would you do there? So like, uh, I'll speak for myself first and, and then Connor, if you if you want to jump in and, and add your own two cents, because obviously we we would maybe differ in, in approach, but like the the thing, the driving force behind at least how I coach is is always empathy. So I'm always looking to to empathize and be empathetic in every possible interaction, you know? So long, like long story short, I would 100% be supportive of them doing whatever they found helpful within reason. Obviously I'm, I'm here to, to kind of make sure they're not doing anything silly as well, you know? But um, yeah, I, I think what I would communicate to them is like, look, if this makes, if this makes the, the process of, of training more manageable to you then amazing, you know, that's fantastic, but it doesn't necessarily validate or validate, sorry, anything that validate, <laughs> uh, validate anything that he's saying in terms of, you know, making these huge, broad recommendations to, to everyone about doing something, you know, if something works specifically well for you in, in terms of, um, improving or reducing the pain you feel or just improving your pain experience, which is obviously this massively complicated thing. Maybe we could, maybe we won't, maybe we'll talk about this a different time. Cause I feel like this could be another <laughs> two hour yeah. segment, yeah. but yeah, like I, I suppose I communicate like, look, this is, you know, this is your experience. If this is improving your experience, then amazing. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily take this and tell other people because that's oftentimes what will happen. You know, someone will do an exercise, they'll feel amazing and they'll tell their friend they're training with, man, you have to do this exercise before. Like, I've done that. I think everyone has has done that. Um, so that would be my approach. I'd be I'd be okay with it, you know, as long as it's, it's, it's helping them. And yeah, Connor, what do you think? I think the same. Like, look, within within reason, if it's, I'd be happy that the person is finding some relief and that is able and confident to train. I think that the, the ultimate thing to avoid when somebody is having a pain experience is fear of movement or fear of what they, what quote unquote hurt them. You know, if, yeah. if you had some sort of pain experience squatting, I want you to stay squatting to some degree, because if you take time away from it and let this ruminate and, and let you kind of catastrophize about squatting, that will only set you back in the long term. I mean, if it's something as benign as a wall sit, I don't care who said it. Like if it's giving you the confidence to train and, and you're, and we have yeah. this, this conversation, and as you said, not treating them like a, a child, mm -hmm. you know, maintaining and preserving yeah. this relationship as trust as much as possible. I'd say I'm delighted that you're comfortable and happy to train and guide them along the process, letting them know that, look, it's not this master key or there's no one tool that is guaranteed to fix any pain experience or any issue but to say look we're working through this and to get a kind of a and we've we've talked about this in the past adam is opening the up the conversation about 
pain and it's way easier when they're actually able to move and train you know like if if adam's knees are killing him and he can't walk he can't go anywhere and i start saying well you know pain is is all in the brain he's gonna tell me to get fucked you know you know actual events yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i wouldn't discredit or i wouldn't i I do discredit the squad university on a daily basis But, but see that's that's the problem is that like so something I've been thinking about recently is like, and one of these aspects of kind of critical thinking that I want to get better at is like, not just defaulting to like, oh, that's bollocks or, oh, that's, that makes sense because, because of the source, mm-hmm. but rather just get getting better at like critiquing it for what it is. So a good example would be like, um, so I, 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 I sort of see sort of a red flag when I see growth mindset brought up. And then I'm like to myself, oh, growth mindset, bullshit. Um, and then I think about it a bit more. I'm like, well, why do I believe that? And it's because it's because my mates who are sports psychologists and I trust their opinion, they've told me it's bollocks. I haven't actually taken the time out to go and read the li- literature on that area. Mm-hmm. Now, now, it may may very well be that that's the case, but just getting better at like, critiquing the evidence not believing it or dismissing it because of who says what do you do you, do you know what i'm getting at 100%. kind of treating it on a more contextual basis nearly am i right in saying that yeah so like with the squat university thing it's very easy to look at that and be like for fuck's sake he, he's like he i think i've seen this thing before where he has like 15 different warm-up exercises like your your fucking shopping list before you start training it's like 40 <sighs> minutes in You've done nothing. And so it's very easy to see all that sort of stuff or the thing about the imbalances and then just be like, this guy's a fucking knob. Why? Like, <laughs> um, but then like on some level, it's like someone's finding bits of this helpful. So just kind of reconciling that mm-hmm. is something that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted about at times. I don't, I don't really know, hmm. you know, so that's why I asked the question to you guys. I, I know the exact conflict you're talking about. I think the, the, the problem is when people, um, they like, uh, feel a perceived benefit from something that someone said and then continue on as if that is fact, you know, and I, hmm. I, and I, I hate to think that that's the majority, how, how, like how the majority go about their lives, but it feels like that's, how the majority go about their lives. And the reason I say that is because, you know, uh, these page like pages like Squat University has, you know, what, half a million followers and, and, and More a lot than of, than a million, I think. Yeah. Oh, really? There you go. Um, so yeah, that, that would be kind of the source of, of that conflict for me. I think it's about that. Like, that's why I say, um, because especially as a, as a coach, like I'm not an expert in anything, you know, I'm, I am, like you said, a coach athlete relationship or just a, a coach client relationship is two adults coming together with, with, with uh, the same goal in mind, you know, whatever that goal may be. Mm. And that's why I just, yeah, I think uh, like at Odyssey strength, I would, I would call our coaching empathy driven because that is literally the, the, the essence behind every single interaction, you know, like if, if they find something beneficial, great. Um, educating them on like critical thinking and, and things like that might not be what I'm here to do, you know? Yeah. So it's, it is tough and it is, it, it is heavily conflicting to, to operate within that sphere and, and have these 
opinions and maybe have have practiced and, and built up the skill to, to critically think to an extent to, you know, hugely varying degrees, um, but not be able to necessarily like impart that skill on other people. It is, it is, it is difficult. It is conflicting. What do you think? What would be your, what, oh, you, I mean, you did actually already, um, explain what, what your, what, what you would do about it, but what do you think about that whole, uh, larger conflict? Do you think there's any, any way of combating it which aspect of it specifically just i suppose the whole like instagram thing you know like yeah there being uh, these pages with millions of followers where that that are are this information is permeate permeating through through fitness as fact you know when it's not necessarily like this the split squat thing you said yeah how you so, can combat that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't have a good answer, but I'll give you my thoughts Yes. in that, like, so getting back to what I was saying before about like why I wanted to do, why I wanted to do a PhD was because I was, I was appalled at my, my critical thinking skills, thinking of some of the stuff I had fallen for. And just, I was like, this is not good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not equipped for life, you know, um, cause I'm just going to fall for more bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, shameless plug, uh, I did an excellent interview for the No Lift podcast with a bullshit researcher there last week. It was fantastic. He's a, he's a cognitive psychologist and uh, his areas, one of his areas of research is in bullshitting. It was, it was terrific. <laughs> anyway, um, shameless plug aside, you can edit that out if you like. <laughs> but um, um, of course, then I forget what I was actually about to say. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so, right. So, so I had this in my head of like, I want to do a PhD to improve my overall critical thinking among other things, because I wasn't happy with where that was at. I was, I was actually less concerned with like what I actually specialize in. It was just the process of going through it that I was more, that was more so what appealed to me. Um, and just like, exposing myself to that higher level of intellect you know mm-hmm. um so i've gone through that and i've come out the other side and i'm better equipped to look at stuff like that and say that okay like i can see the flaws in that argument well you know that there's this literature here that directly refutes what you're saying that claim you've made there's no evidence there to substantiate that or something i've seen recently as well just fucking pissing me off big time which is like you see someone make some ludicrous claim and they'll just try to justify it with like oh studies show that and then it's like (laughs) author citation like what (laughs) what studies you know but they know that the vast majority of people aren't going to look for a reference list so they're fine you know just say shit like that 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 really takes me off like that that properly gets me riled up um but I'm in a position now where I'm, I'm, I'm okay at that. I still fall for nonsense all the time. Okay. So when you put that in the context of someone who's literally spent a decade at a university to just be okay at it. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, okay, well, look, okay. I have some sympathy for the average punter now who, you know, doesn't have that level of education or anywhere near it. Like, of course, of course they're going to fall foul for those sort of things. Cause I I've spent this long 
and it really sounds like I'm tooting my own horn here. I, I don't mean to, but just like <laughs> when you put in the context of like how long I spent at, at university and I'm only okay now with this. And then you realize, well, like, of course, of course they're going to fall for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, to, to pull us back, you know, that was all fantastic to pull us back. So you get your PhD. Mm. Was it, you know, life-changing to receive that piece of paper? What, what, what was that like? Actually, so. yeah. um, you become, so you become Dr. Arthur Lynch, comma, PhD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny, right? Um, the pandemic hit at like, for me, I, I, it was unfortunate because it actually happened towards the end of my final study. So I actually lost about seven participants. But it was also in this in another sense a blessing in disguise because it meant i was stuck at home couldn't leave um so it was like ideal conditions for someone who needs to spend six months at a computer to write their thesis um and so i got i got that done got it submitted and i was like i i felt so fortunate that i was in that position where it, it happened at that time whereby it affected me to a much lesser degree than say if it had happened, like if it had happened 18 months prior to that, that was curtains for me with the PhD. Definitely. Because of where I was at with it. Like I glossed over a few of the details there, but like around the time when I had that split with my supervisor, I had to sit in front of a, a research confirmation panel and, and basically they had, to, they were just kind of grilling me and being like, listen, you've been here two years. You've nothing to show for it. What, what the fuck? <laughs> So I had to plead my case there and then spend the six next six months, basically kind of like a probation period um, where I had to prove to them that like it was, it was, it was worthwhile granting me the passage to continue on with my studies. So the plug could have been pulled at that point. And if the pandemic had hit then definitely would have, because I wouldn't have been able to conduct any studies. Um, and my area of research, it wasn't really, much scope for doing like a survey or something like that, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah. So get the thesis in, get it submitted. Um, and I was like, geez, I, I, I got off lightly here with the pandemic cause I was able to do this, do the, um, the oral examination over zoom. Uh, and then it's like all this build up and then I do it and it's like, right. So, yeah, we're going to award you the the PhD. Um, congratulations. And then it's like sign off on the call. I'm just like, there's no one else here. Um, I can't go like I, I don't go out, like I don't drink or anything, so I, I wouldn't be like heading to the pub or anything like that afterwards. But it was just a really weird anti-climax. And then of course there's another thing as well, is that once you finish your Viva and which is the, the, the oral examination, you have corrections to make to your thesis. And they actually took quite a long time. So it was even dragging it out a bit more. So it's, it makes it even more anticlimactic. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with not having the graduation ceremony. I, I like the thought of being up at the top of the concert hall with the funny looking hat and basically a dress on me. Uh, <laughs> I'm cool with not having to go through that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a 
huge anticlimax. I, I must admit. I expected it might be. Well, I I hadn't even factored in the 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 pandemic part of it, but I can I just can't imagine that going through, especially the way you 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 tell the story. You know, you you went through all of these um, kind of setbacks, you know, to to finally get this thing done and have and it. <laughs> like I, I might just clarify something as well. Like maybe in the way I've told it, it sounds like. Jeez, this guy is some man for overcoming adversity. It was all self-inflicted. Like, okay. like I spent so much time procrastinating and arsing around and being on my phone and fucking ah, oh, just any kind of way to uh, to to waste time. I found it. Um, at times, powerlifting was a great source of distraction for me. And just nonsense stuff i did over the years just wasting time needlessly um so yeah it was it was all self-inflicted it wasn't that it like god he, he just they just keep lining them up and he just keeps knocking them over it's, it was, no, no 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 it was like i found myself in the shitter and i just managed to, to pull myself out of it and that was that was it like so before i ask was there I, I suppose this is connected to what we were just talking about. Was was there an element of, you know, I'm sure we've all met a lot of people who would have a, a fair degree of imposter syndrome and they think, oh, once I get this qualification grant, I, I know what I'm about now. Or, or once I finish my, my personal training course, I'll know what I'm about. I can imagine a PhD is like the highest level of it. And you can say, okay, if I have a PhD, I know my shit. I know what I'm about. And then when the time comes and you're still Arthur Lynch, <laughs> I'm sure there can be a bit of a feeling like, Oh, I thought this wave of knowledge and certainty and confidence would come over me, but nothing has changed. Is that, I, I feel like yeah. I'm talking serious smack about the huge achievement that getting a PhD is. So don't, please don't take it that way. No, 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 I get it. And yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I don't know if I thought at the start of it that I would be like the world's expert in a particular thing. Um, sometimes when I start talking about my PhD and I'm like, oh, probably I do know like probably more than most anyway about this, this topic. But I mean, it's an isometric squad. It's like, it's the, the overall utility of it is fairly limited. And it was hilarious as well. I like once the pandemic hit because for instance, you know, a lot of people still found ways to train. Like they found ways to get like barbells and racks and benches and stuff. Like I was locked out of the university. So like, I was like, right, if, if theoretically, if isometric squats were important for something that you were doing, either you're using them as your outcome measure or you're using them as part of your training, like I was kind of hinting at earlier on, you couldn't do it. So it's like, so it's a very weird situation. It's like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm, I know a lot about a subject that's relatively unimportant um, and not very transferable. So, so, so yeah, I mean, and, and, but, but I kind of knew going in, it's like expertise. It's, it's, it's knowing more and more about less and less, you know? Um, so it's, it does disappoint me that I'm, I'm not better at statistics. I thought that might be one thing I'd be better at. Um, but I'm still terrible at them. <laughs> um, 
What what was the the leucine uh, molecule called again? What was that the the controversial one? Uh, HMB. That's oh the the long form name is like beta hydroxy beta methyl butyrate. Mm-hmm. So I think the burning yeah. question everyone is going to have after listening to this is what happened to the ten kilo bag <laughs> of HMB? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I held on to it for longer than I probably needed to because I was like. Just in case, look, just in case someone asks what became of it, I'll just hold on to it. And then I, I actually think like the, the, the day I did the oral examination and passed it, as it, right, I'm chucking that thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it's I like said... spreading ashes after somebody's died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a while there where I was, I was taking leucine on Lane Norton's advice and it was gross oh my god it was disgusting mm. horrible like creatine is not very nice leucine is just oh my god it's it's absolutely disgusting I, i'm glad yeah. i stopped taking that stuff. <laughs> um so we have some we have a couple of open-ended questions left but i fear you probably have have a life to get back to outside of this conversation so we might hold them off for for another you, you think i would yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Connor, is there anything else you wanted to you wanted to to ask or chat about or expand on? Uh, listen, there's so much that we were we were only talking about this when we were coming through talking points. Like there is so much that we could really deep dive into. I think we'd be we'd be here all day. <laughs> Absolutely. So we'll have to have you on again. I mean, I was going to say I would love to if you'd have me back again, but then I I didn't want that to be an awkward like. Oh, Jesus, no, have to do this again. He wants he wants to come back on again. No. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that, that was great. That genuinely was like just to sit here and listen. Uh, super interesting and super valuable. I, I really hope and think there will be at least two. You know, two of our four listeners might find that really valuable. You guys have four listeners, right? <laughs> wow, that's uh... my mom, Connor's mom, and. Yeah, I think we have a friend. <laughs> um, I like. I'm pretty sure my only listener is when I listen back to the podcast I record at the, you know, the, during the week to see how how it sounded. But um, uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, no. Honestly, lads, I, I was like when when I got the message that uh, you wanted me to be on, I was I was pretty chuffed. Uh, so honestly, thank you. I I, I know it seems trivial because like you know, podcasts are everywhere nowadays, but when someone asks me on, um, it, like, I, I just feel so humble because it's like, oh my God, uh, someone wants to hear me talk for, <laughs> what has it been? Jesus, I've been on way too long, two hours. <laughs> um, but no, I honestly, I, I really, really appreciate it. So thanks so much. No, we really appreciate you coming on, man. It was really, really enjoyable to chat. Really enjoyable. All right, guys, that is episode, what episode is that? Oh, man. I don't know. 11? 11, that's right. That's right. That was episode 11. It was much better than last week's disaster episode. Um, Again, as usual, we'll be back within the next seven days. If you have any questions or if you'd like us to have anyone on in particular, please let us know. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you again soon. All the best.